In the beginning was the Word. This opening to the Gospel of John deliberately echoes the first words of Genesis. In the beginning when God created the heavens and the earth. Also like Genesis, light and life and creation are being formed in these first words of John's Gospel. All things came into being through him. What has come into being in him was life, and the light and the life of all people. These parallels to Genesis are intentional, as they serve notice to the hearers of this gospel that although he's not named until verse 17, Jesus Christ is God, present and participating from before creation itself. The confidence and sweep with which the narrator introduces the Christ is unlike any language elsewhere in John or anywhere in the other three Gospels, the Synoptic Gospels. In many ways, these first 18 verses, sometimes called a prologue to this Gospel, they sound like a cosmic dispatch from eternity. They are beautiful, poetic. This passage is central to our Christian faith. Yet I have to admit, these words often leave me cold, nervous, even scared at the immensity of God. How can this unfathomably vast presence, this word, be the same being as Jesus, the good shepherd, who weeps at the grave of Lazarus, who has compassion for lepers, who befriends obtuse fishermen, and washes the feet of his disciples. That's the Son of God we know best, friendly and compassionate. But here, he is the Word. And the Greek word for word is logos, a term that encompasses all kinds of meanings. Speech, language, thought, and reason. There is a long history of thinkers who expounded on the concept of the logos, from the Greek philosopher Heraclitus in 500 BC to the ancient Stoics just before the time of Jesus, who conceived of the Logos as the intrinsic rational principle in the universe, ordering all things. For these philosophers, the Logos is the divine reason that permeates the world and makes it a meaningful universe rather than a chaos. In John's prologue, then, he states with confidence that Jesus is that same ordering principle of the universe. We call this way of looking at Jesus high Christology, Jesus Christ as ethereal and omnipotent, as opposed to a low Christological view that sees him as more approachable, human and material. But as I said, this passage just leaves me feeling kind of uncomfortable. I'm guessing that's precisely why this scripture text falls at this particular time of the church year. Just a week ago, we were marveling that God would become so humble as to be born in a manger, a feeding trough for animals, just to be with us and restore us to relationship with the divine. Now, we are reminded of the source from whence came that child, that the essence of that babe in the manger is profound and eternal, lest we be lulled into complacency by all these sweet Christmas carols we've been hearing. As much as we focus our faith on Jesus as a prophet who worked miracles, this text grabs us by the arm and says, hey, don't you forget 
that he is also a mystery so measureless you will never wrap your mind around it. Tomorrow, January 1st, the Feast of the Holy Name of Jesus, returns us once again to his very human nature. Because up until the most recent Book of Common Prayer, tomorrow was called the Feast of the Circumcision. And it doesn't get much more of the flesh for a baby boy than that. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us. Why? Maybe it was to make flesh sacred. And to make the sacred more tactile. So much of our thinking is dualistic. Especially when it comes to the spiritual versus the physical. God wanted to bridge that gap between divine and human, spiritual and physical. So God's limitless love consented to limit itself to the boundaries of a body. As a result, we are able to attain divinity, limitless life in Jesus Christ. St. Athanasius, in his 4th century book, On the Incarnation, wrote, God became man that man might become God. The eternal funneled itself into history, into time, into one body, so that we ourselves might partake of the divine and the eternal. I don't quite understand it, but there is a more simple way to put all of this. Also in John, God so loved the world that he gave his only son, so that everyone who believes in him may not perish, but may have eternal life. There is a prayer that I recite when I add a few drops of water to the wine at the altar each Sunday when I'm presiding. I say it quietly, so most likely you won't hear it. But the prayer is based on the collect for the second Sunday after Christmas Day, which we won't hear this year. I say, by the mingling of this water with this wine, may we come to share in Christ's divinity, who humbled himself to share in our humanity. It's an acknowledgement of this divine mystery of the incarnation. The water, which I have just blessed, when I drop it into the wine, dilutes itself into the wine and makes it holy. Just as Christ became flesh and makes us holy by becoming one with humanity. As I say, it's a mystery. Eight years ago, when my mother could still stand up on her own, I had occasion to help her shower while I was back for a visit in Wisconsin. She could only really manage it about once a week and was desperate to get clean this day, and I was the only one around. So I had to see her naked. The idea of it freaked me out, especially since modesty and propriety around bodily stuff was always such a thing in our family. Well, when I did it, I really only had to help her in and out of the shower. Rather than being disgusted, I was quite moved. I couldn't tell whether she was feeling ashamed, but I don't think so. I felt honored to help my mother in this small way And I experienced a rush of compassion for all that her body's been through. The many surgeries and births and work she's endured over the decades. She is to this day very much afraid to die, even with all her pains. But that day, after settling her back into her recliner, I remember thinking of her in photos when she was young in Mexico, beautiful and vital and wondering how she navigated the truth of her body's deterioration. For me, 
I had never before looked at her with such awe and love. And in those few minutes that I helped her shower, her sacredness was revealed to me. It will always be a mystery to us, the ordering principle of the universe and its seeming fondness for our frail species. But what we can grasp is that we are now precious and divine because God deems us so. When Christ came down and became human for us, that was also a sign. Our bodies, our souls, however broken down or worn out, are precious to our Creator. So it's up to us to treat them as such, our own and others, for they have been divinized. The Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we give profound thanks for that gift. When we bow at the words of the Incarnation in our Nicene Creed, we express gratitude for the breaking in of the Word on our world. May the mystery of the Word made flesh always draw you back to your precious self. Amen. Amen.